here, but I'm ready. I have a whiskey. <laughs> it's a little early for us to start over here, to be honest. <laughs> Good a time as any. Good a time as any. Yeah, working from home is great. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Mr. Economist, nice having you with us today. I am the mechanic. Well read on the introduction. Did you notice I changed it a bit? You didn't even notice the words I, I swapped it, around. It did was you? so smooth, I didn't uh-huh. notice. It was. <laughs> well, I did have to read it because I did change the words around. Our, <laughs> our avid listeners will pick those out. Uh, interesting show we have today. It is you and I, and we are chatting with Stephanie and Jillian, who have a YouTube channel called Our Freedom Years. They're interesting because they are already fire, and they achieved that at super fast speed because they worked as expats. So welcome to the show, Stephanie and Jillian. Thank you so much. Nice to have you here. Now, uh, as many of our listeners know, we start off the show opening our beverages, and I have a farm fresh beer. Uh, My mother actually brought this to me. She finally was allowed off the continent and onto Vancouver Island for a little visit. Uh, We expanded our bubble, I guess we'd say. So she brought me Barnside Brewing Ladner Clay IPA. So uh, something I've never tried before. It's from Ladner, which is just outside Vancouver. So I'm going to crack into that. Uh, Economist, what are you having today? Well, if you told me you had a lower mainland beer, I might have gone and got one. But uh, I have uh, whiskey from the cabinet. (laughs) <laughs> from buffalo trace distillery uh stag jr which is pretty potent so i topped it up with water there you go and stephanie and jillian you are in ontario am i right yes we're in our hometown of toronto yay shout out to uh what did you find there i know there's tons of great breweries i've traveled around downtown when we were allowed to but what did you what did you find So we wanted to go as local as possible, and we were in luck because there were actually several breweries right here in our local neighborhood. So we wandered down to the nearest one, which was called Bandit Brewery, and we were not disappointed to find a few great choices. I went with this one called the Wizard of Goza. I think I was probably most attracted by the uh, dapper-looking, is this this a A fox or raccoon? See, I thought it was a fox. Now I realize there's raccoons on both of these beverages it's, so because the name bandit uh, okay at any rate it i've had a sip here it's delicious it's refreshing it's got some meyer lemon in it so yeah it's really hitting the spot and i went with something a little bit more classic less of the lemon so it's a dry hop pilsner also from bandit brewery so we're well equipped excellent cheers everybody cheers. thanks for being on the show with us does one call it a hometown when you're in the biggest city in canada well i think you're right but it's just interesting and i call it my hometown but i was doing the math like a few years from now i will have lived outside of toronto for more years than i probably lived here but i was born and raised stayed here till i was 18 at least so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah we all kind of have a hometown i guess it is i wasn't even born in canada so i it's funny i've been back to my birthplace and it it feels a little bit like home even though i left when i was five years old so it's it's a little it's a little weird so We have you on the show today because I thought your story was very interesting. Uh, We have interviewed an expat before on the show. I myself have lived overseas. I completely understand how powerful this is for people that are trying to achieve financial independence. Just give us a little bit of a backstory of where you were and sort of maybe what took you there in the first place and, and how it helped you get to FIRE in 2019. 
Sure. So we we started off seven years ago as I would say very average young Canadian professionals. So we were quite focused on our jobs and acquiring a condo and having a car and just very standard lifestyles. And we got to go on trips to see the rest of the world, you know, the usual couple weeks a year. Um, we were really hungry for more travel experiences. And because I, in particular, I was so career focused, I thought, hmm, maybe there's a way that I could see more of the world, but also build my career at the same time. And that feeling sort of grew and grew over the years when I finally said, you know what, I have to just make this happen because if I don't do this, no, no company is going to, you know, of their own free will, send me off to some corner of the world. I, I need to make it happen for us. So I, I said to Jillian, Jillian, there's this country called Singapore. It looks very interesting. Why don't we think about uprooting our entire lives and starting over again in Singapore, a place that we had never gone to before, we had no knowledge of. Um, so that was the beginning of our journey. So, um, you know, I say it very flippantly, but in fact, we we did a lot of research. We started building networks. Um, and then we were fortunate enough that we were each able to find jobs within our fields in a relatively short amount of time. Um, so from the idea through all the networking, I think that was probably about six months until we were actually packing up our homes in Canada and moving off to Singapore, never having lived abroad before like that. So it was it was a huge adventure. It was a huge change, uh, very exciting. And, and, you know, it brought us to actually where we are today now. So it was more a quality of life decision than a, a fire driven decision. Is that right? I had never even heard of the concept of financial independence, and I certainly had zero intention of retiring early. I was very focused on my career. Um, so that is really where Jillian comes into the story in terms of um, bringing forward these crazy notions of, you know, having enough money so you never have to work again. Yeah. So, so if I can just add on to that. So as much as we weren't sort of plugged into the fire community at that point, we definitely were, were trying to save money. And we knew that moving to Singapore with its lower tax rate and good earning potential, we knew it was going to be helping us. So we just didn't know that it was going to be the piece that really, you know, allowed us to eventually step away from the corporate life. It was still more, okay, great, we'll be able to travel more, we'll be able to save more. But we didn't know what, uh, you know, pivotal piece that it would play down the road. Do you think you could suggest any one particular network or uh, service that you used at the beginning to try and find that those jobs overseas? I mean, we're in an interesting time now, of course. I always date myself in these recordings because we're sort of post-COVID, but not really. And the international work and travel looks differently. We'll get into that in a little bit about your travels. But I think in the future, there's still going to be these opportunities to work overseas. Mm -hmm. Are there resources that you found in Canada as a Canadian that somebody could look up if they were interested in this? Sure. So for us, what was instrumental could not have done without this. It was LinkedIn. So we started by each of us building out our networks. I mean, I was essentially spamming 
every CEO <laughs> yeah. in my industry throughout Singapore. I mean, they just could not escape me. Um, yeah. And if someone ever accepted my um, invitation to link, then I would quickly follow up with a note, letting them know, this is what I'm trying to do. Love to have an informational chat with you. So I was actually able to parlay those, those connections, you know, having, you know, no experience with these people whatsoever, but I was able to ask for informational interviews. And then I was able able to turn those interviews into more serious discussions about opportunities. So it was a lot of work, um, but it was it was definitely the only route that was available to me. I also tried, um, you know, sending off my CV to a couple opportunities that I saw, but it was the networks that actually, those personal connections that I made, that, th- that was what allowed me to actually land a job. Also, we went to Singapore in person, which I think was a really important piece. We had built up uh, these, you know, we'd made connections online, but actually sitting down and having a conversation with a number of these connections we'd made, I think was the really important thing because, you know, let's be honest, it's pretty hard to stick your neck out for someone who says, oh, I'm going to be moving to your country. Uh, You know, we don't know any of the same, we haven't worked with any of the same people. Suddenly I'm going to offer you a job, you know. That's actually showing up. It was both uh, in terms of making those connections, but also to re- confirm to ourselves that this was a place that we wanted to live. You know, if we just moved somewhere we'd never been, uh, I mean, that would have been <laughs> a very poor decision. So, seeing for ourselves what we thought it would be like, you know, getting to know some people. And for me, it was actually not the initial people that I met that I ultimately found my first job with. It was someone that uh, I was linked up with you know, by a referral from someone I met. So uh, yeah, those, those, those networks that we build, I think were the, were the, the key thing to help us find uh, employment in Singapore. When you um, went to visit, was it kind of a one week working vacation from your regular job? It's a story in itself. So we just happened to have planned a once in a lifetime trip to go climb Kilimanjaro. Nice. So we were all set. We had we we had saved up all of our points. So we're doing the whole thing on points. And we were going to do a week of, you know, climbing up Kilimanjaro and a week of safari. And then we started to get some interest from some of these connections in Singapore. And we realized, hey, if we could somehow add on a short stop in Singapore, then that would be a great way to sort of make all of this work very nicely together. And we were able to to do that within the same budget, mm. which was great. And so we packed one bag full of mountain climbing stuff <laughs> and one bag full of suits and resumes. And off we went. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, I I definitely agree with your earlier comments about uh, building out a network. When I had the opportunity to move overseas, it was actually my wife that got the job and she said, hey, uh, I think we're going to move. And I was taken back a little and and it it was interesting to try and forge those relationships. And the same thing I relate to what you said is you've never been there, you've never met the people and you're going on the strength of I was very lucky to have a, a contact in the helicopter industry. It's networking and there's there's challenges that come along with moving and but it was an amazing experience for us and it sounds like for you too. One of the things that made a big difference for me living overseas because Bermuda is its own country, but it's still within the Commonwealth, but they're pegged to the US dollar. So I was paid in US dollars. When you were in Singapore, 
were you paid in US dollars or a local currency? And what did your tax situation look like? I, I gather you left Canada and you declared yourself non-resident, the same as what I did. So, you know, maybe just tell our listeners what that means to become non-resident and then what your sort of income and tax looked like overseas. Okay, so in order to be a become a non-resident, um, probably the most important thing is that you need to sever certain ties that you have with Canada. The most important of those are is your your primary residence. So for that, you either need to sell it or rent it out at arm's length. So you can't just have like your brother staying there. And then as well, if you have a spouse. Um, or dependents, then they should be with you unless you have some really compelling reason that you would have to probably substantiate um, why they weren't. Aside from that, there's also incidental ties, which you'd want to try and reduce as many of those as possible. These are things like having uh, bank accounts in Canada, keeping your health insurance, your driver's license, even your passport is on the list. Now, we did not... Is um, it? I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's on the list as an incidental tie, but certainly we didn't sever all of them, but really as many as possible. We sold our condos, sold the car. You know, we had a, a small, tiny storage locker, which we we put in someone else's name just in case. Um, yeah, so we did as much as we could. And then the next step is just making sure you tell anyone that is paying you any kind of uh, investment income in Canada that you are no longer a resident. Tell the bank that you're no longer a resident. Tell everyone who will listen. And then you just kind of yeah. Yeah. Don't file any more taxes. Then if revenue CRA <laughs> comes and asks you a question, then you can substantiate. But in our case, they haven't actually come back because we haven't had any uh, other Canadian income. We're just paying taxes, non-residents for any of our interest or anything coming in in Canada. And then, yeah, in Singapore, we just pay tax the way a local citizen would. And we were paid in Singapore dollars. Yes, Singapore dollars, which I will say has worked out very well because actually the Singapore dollar got around maybe 10% stronger than it was when we first moved there uh, as compared with the Canadian dollar. So in fact, our we were kind of getting like uh, built-in raises without even necessarily receiving them. It was just through the currency. So that worked out in our favor. Of course, something like that can go either way. It's pretty much out of your control, but in our case, it, it worked out. From a salary point of view, were you earning comparable Canadian dollar value as what you would in Toronto or was your wage higher overseas? It was a bit different for each of us. Um, Jillian was in healthcare, um, so she can speak a little bit to that. So she was in a local healthcare role. I was working in a high demand industry um, in in marketing, specifically digital marketing. So within that industry, which is not you know overseen by the government in Singapore, um, it's very competitive. They're trying to attract a lot of expats. So to be honest, by the time we were leaving after six years of being there, I mean, my salary was, I think, much higher than it would have been in Canada. And then also, you know, once you apply the difference in the tax rate, you know, I was doing very well by that, um, by that opportunity. So that so that was for my part. Yeah, so in Singapore, most people's salaries have some element of bonus built in. And that's not just for oh, you work in banking, you get a bonus at the end of year, like most places they have the 13th month which I think is a relic of every two weeks paydays so you have uh, an extra 13th month so basically every December you get two months worth and so on so the initial salary when I first looked at it I was like oh okay well it's about the same not you know okay that, that's fine um, but ultimately after all the bonuses were added up it was a bit more and then add on the lower tax rate which 
I mean, the tax rate could be somewhere, it depends on how much you're making, but it could be as little as 7% um, up to probably usually not more than 12, 15%, definitely quite a bit less than in Canada. Now, of course, you do have to pay for some extra things. Um, healthcare is not, we don't have the universal healthcare the same way. So we did pay for insurance, but still overall, Singapore is definitely a place where you can save money if you are careful not to spend it all. I think that's true anywhere, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say um, that in Singapore, it's very similar, I think, to some of these other, you know, very wealthy uh, cities that attract, there's a high proportion of expats there. So I'm thinking um, Hong Kong or Dubai. Um, So you can earn very well. But you can also spend very well. So there, you know, all the prices are inflated to begin with in Singapore because it is an island and every single thing has to be imported. But in addition to that, you know, there's sort of the hidden expat taxes where you're guided to, you know, more expensive condos. And, you know, if you go out on a weekend, it's just filled with expensive restaurants. So for us, it took a lot of work to make sure that we were saving up as much as we really wanted to save, um, because you do have to say no to a lot of temptations and ensure that you are not just frittering away your money on all the many things that are available. In, in all honesty, you know, after we arrived in Singapore, you know, we were we were settled into our life there. We were enjoying traveling. We were making friends. And there was this sort of, I'll call it natural lifestyle creep. I don't think it has to be natural for everyone. But, you know, it it, it started to happen. And, and sometimes, like, I was the one paying the credit card bills. And sometimes I'd be like, hey, like, do you know... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how much it was this past month? And that was around the time when we were discovering fire and we started really looking at, okay, where is the money going? Even though we were saving, we really thought we could be saving more, which definitely was the case. And we started making some some major changes um, to, to dial things back and kind of plan for our next phase of life. The discovery of fire, what was it like for you guys, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> we... Guys, ladies, it's all good. Um, Yeah, I mean, okay, early retirement was something that had crossed my mind very early on. I was in the Canadian Armed Forces from the age of 17, and then I did like 12 or 13 years of service. And so in the military, you know, you talk about the 20-year pension, which is quite an early age to retire. I mean, if I had stayed in the whole time, I would actually be retired right now. <laughs> so I had this kind of in the back of my mind. But, you know, when we were in in Singapore, we were working, we were very much feeling here we are in the peak of our careers. And it, it sort of dropped, dropped out of view. But at the same time, you know, we, we felt like we were in the rat race and we were getting kind of burnt out. I think Stephanie can probably speak, speak to that point. Sure. Um, Absolutely. So Julian kept approaching me and asking if we couldn't live a different way or if there was something more out there for us or a different kind of lifestyle because it was it was very exciting and wonderful to be living in this tropical country and to be having all the opportunities but it was also a grind. However, I was not on board at all. I was very focused on my career development. I, you know, the corporate ladder was in front of me and there was nothing I could do but just keep climbing. 
so it was only after I had a very tough year. I had a new role. It was more responsibility. It was more work. I thought that was amazing. I was so excited about it. Um, but over the course of the year, I, I sort of looked around and realized I've been working every single weekend since as long as I can remember. And I don't think I can do this anymore. And eventually I, I realized that I was, I was truly burning out. I was in a state of burnout and I had been for some time. And I was finally ready to have that conversation with Jillian about what else is out there for us. And of course, she'd been ready the whole time to talk to me. I, I started like forwarding her articles. I was ready to yeah, go yeah. with some of the bloggers that I thought would be relatable to her. And finally, some of them resonated. And then soon we were in this phase where we were just consuming consuming fire content, every blog we could find, every podcast we would listen to. It just became basically the the same uh, tenacity that Stephanie approached our move to Singapore. She, she, she flipped it and she was like, okay, we're going to do this thing. Here's how we're going to do it. And I just could step back and kind of just like fall in line and away we went. <laughs> That's awesome. This happened while you were overseas and you managed to be fire and retire last year in 2019. And by the looks of a lot of your videos, the big part of what your early retirement looks like is world traveling. Now, that obviously has changed right now. Uh, but you started this last year, just sort of tell us about that transition from that sort of that working and having an established house or life to becoming basically nomadic travelers, or that was your intention of what you wanted it to look like. Yes. So how did that yeah. uh, come about and what happened? Sure. So the lead up was extremely dramatic to, to, to eventually, you know, saying goodbye to our jobs and leaving Singapore. Um, so we had, we had discovered fire. We started tracking our spending. We started saving as much money as we could. And then as our plans took shape and we realized we're going to be traveling full time and this is going to be amazing and we don't need any of the stuff we're surrounded by in our apartment. Then we started selling off everything we own. So it was a rather dramatic transition that just accelerated as we got closer and closer to the date when we would leave Singapore to the point that, you know, in those last few days, we just were in a basically empty apartment with just the bags we would carry as we we headed off to the airport. So it was very, very exciting. And, you know, we were quite nervous as we were preparing to leave because we thought, are we going to wake up one morning in one of these countries in Ukraine or Poland or Turkey or wherever and say, what are we doing here? Like, what have we done? What have we done to our lives? We, I we were go nervous home. about it. <laughs> but it, it was amazing that as soon as we started this new life, it just felt right. And it was so incredible to wake up and be in a new country and be doing all these exciting things. It was just so energizing. And it was amazing to just be looking around at new environments, knowing like I get to live here for a month and then I'm going to go and live somewhere else for a month. So that was great. And we were really having such an amazing time. And then all of a sudden we started hearing news about a little virus that was <laughs> yeah. in the north of Italy and we were sitting in Florence, in Italy, where we had wow. been for the past month, thinking, hmm, is this going to be a problem for us? Like, oh, it's in the north. Where, where are we? Oh, oh, actually, we're not that far. No kidding. So you were able to get out and get back to Canada, though, which is good. Well, uh, it took a little time. There was an initial, 
when we when Italy first locked down, so it was the first country to lock down. It was the first you know big outbreak outside of China, and yeah. so we immediately were like, okay, we got we have to get out of Italy. So we booked a plane ticket. We're like, okay, we just need to get somewhere else in Europe. We bought a plane ticket to Budapest. We were planning to go there. We left our Airbnb. We were packed. We were we were camped out next to the, at a hotel room next to the airport. And in the middle of the night, we got a call from my mother. She was calling to tell me. Hungary has closed, like your flight's going to be canceled. We're going, okay, what are we going to do? Long story short, we figured out a plan that we could go and stay at a, a friend's place who keeps a holiday home up in Lake Como. And we are able to get there and kind of settle there and figure out what our next steps would be. So it was a beautiful place, just idyllic surroundings. The only real issue or the thing that kind of was a bit of a disturbing to us where all the the sirens we would hear echoing around the lake because of all the basically people being taken to the hospital like every day we would hear them so we wow. we knew that the situation was actually quite serious even though we ourselves felt quite safe we were all stocked up on groceries and we were just really you know having pleasant time there was this in the background and we knew okay maybe this isn't going to be like a long-term solution not to mention that we have visas that are running out we need to figure out how we're going to get back to Canada so that was our our next step so what does the nomadic lifestyle look like now you've been back in Toronto for a couple months moving forward do you see yourself heading back out on the road again sort of when it's safe to do so or or has that long-term plan changed a little bit so we were a little discombobulated when we first arrived in Canada. So we were, of course, happy to be able to come to our home country and actually be around our families and provide them with their, with support because, of course, we'd been away for over seven years. So it's right, nice yeah. that we could spend the time, even though the circumstances were a bit unusual. As we were settling in, of course, we've been scanning the headlines and trying to understand what is the global situation or what will it evolve to? How does this affect us? How can we continue to be nomads in a world that is going through a pandemic? So we actually considered many options. We, we considered maybe this is a time to, you know, head to the woods and buy a tiny home and set up a homestead, which we're not going to do. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, or, you know, do we get a camper? van and start traveling around Canada. Um, in the end, we we felt that we're just in a time of our life where, where traveling internationally is really important to us. It's one of the main reasons why we wanted to retire early. It was to, to see the world and to experience different cultures. So we are planning to return safely to Europe. We're just watching the headlines to see which location opens. Um, we would be doing it very, very carefully. And we would be taking the same precautions that we take here. So we're not, you know, we're not in Toronto going to tourist destinations or eating in restaurants. I mean, nothing's open anyway. Um, yep. But we're, you know, we're trying to do it safely. So we would be doing the same thing in Europe, you know, when it is appropriate to to head that direction. And I think it's important to mention that so our our style of travel is, is slow travel. So to us, that means we're we're spending you know typically a, a month in each place. And I think that going forward, we might want to slow down even more. But generally, day to day, our life on the road is not so different from what we would have here in Toronto. So in terms of 
kind of the risk to us and also the risk, you know, to, for spread to others, it's not too different. And we really minimize the travel, which I think is probably the highest risk activity. Um, so we'd be keeping distances a lot shorter, you know, traveling more within a country, just very slowly month here, month there, or even multiple months in one, one place. We'll just be watching very closely uh, in terms of, you know, what's, what seems appropriate as, as things evolve. Cause we know it's not going to go back to normal anytime soon. If ever there, there are going to be, you know, changes to how life is, and we're ready to roll with that. But it's not enough to keep us just living in one place. We still feel that need to get out and experience our day-to-day life in different places. That makes sense. I'm glad you're you're sticking to your plan. And yeah, I was just curious. You mentioned becoming a non-resident of Canada. While you're retired and in the nomadic lifestyle, are you a resident of anywhere? And how are your investments taxed in that position? Sure. So I guess when we talked about uh, the non-residents up front, I think the key thing I didn't mention is that you need to be a non-resident, you need to be outside of Canada at least six months of the year. So that's the other criteria for for meeting that one. So so we became non-residents when we moved to Singapore, and we are still non-residents of Canada. So any investments that we have in Canada, we're, we're still paying our taxes on them as non-residents. And in terms of where we're residents, we're we're not (laughs) residents of anywhere. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, just to maybe explain a little bit more on the investment front. I mean, I'll let Jillian do the explanation as she set it up, but she had structured our going forward investments um, such that it was, they would not be ones that we would be taxed for, like the type of investment that we're making. So our day-to-day living expenses, uh, we pay from uh, interest income that comes in from a fixed income investment that we hold here in Canada. Now, we're taxed on that based on the tax rate that would apply to interest income, which in fact is 0%. So that's the beauty of being a non-resident collecting right. interest in Canada. You actually, you're fulfilling your obligation by paying nothing. So uh, that that just worked out very well with our planned investments and and the tax laws that we have here in Canada. Then we also have um, equity investments, of course, which we chose, we're holding a slice of the global market, uh, an ETF, a Vanguard ETF. Um, So we're invested in over 3000 companies in 47 countries to be really well diversified. And for that one, the sort of tax hack, hardly a hack, but uh, basically we chose a fund that is domiciled in Ireland, which means we take advantage of the Irish tax treaty, which just makes the withholding tax on the dividend payments um, lower. So it's just a little bit better than if we were holding the fund through Canada or through the US. And we just brought thought that through our, our brokerage account online. Which brokers do you use? Uh, we use interactive. interactive brokers, yes. Oh, so you, okay, that's interesting. So you just use a sort of uh, online brokers that's available to anybody. I, I think the accountant actually uses interactive brokers as well, doesn't he? I can't remember. Anyway, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. And I wanted to ask you specifically about your fixed income investment. People are probably wondering what that is, whether that looks like bonds or private lending. What is your fixed income that you're able to generate enough for daily living? 
Yeah. So our fixed income investment is syndicated mortgages, what we, what, what we invest in. So it's basically, they are large mortgages for construction loans, typically, that get spread out over many, many lenders. And then we participate in many of these. So that helps spread the risk out a little bit and, and the exposure. And with this type of fixed income, um, it is I would say it's considered a higher risk than something like bonds, but as a result, it is also higher return. And there are certain things that we do. Um, it's a bit more active type of investing as compared to an ETF where you just you just buy it. With this one, you really need to look at the details of the deal, look at you know what is the property value, how much is being loaned, just the whole picture. So it is something not necessarily for you know a, a novice investor, but it's something that we've been doing for a number of years now, and yeah, it's it's been very good for us so far. So do you deal with a broker in Ontario specifically for those? Like this, it sounds to me like this is different from a mortgage investment corporation. Is that correct? It's slightly different, but it's ultimately based on the same. So we, so we, uh, we do have a broker, and the broker that we have offers both a fund where they make all the decisions about the mortgages, and then they also offer individuals can select mortgages that they want to take on. So we actually do have some investments in the fund. We do that through our; they're held within our RSP, and so when we moved. When we moved overseas, they said to us, oh, um, so now you're not building up RSP contribution room, so it would be taxable investments, and we aren't equipped to, to do the withholding tax, but we can offer you these syndicated mortgages. So then behind the scenes, I was researching, I realized that the interest wasn't going to be taxed. I thought, this is perfect for us. You know, um, we can pick and choose our deals. We can get the same kind of diversification by just putting small amounts. Like we're just holding one or two percent of these mortgages, um, like in terms of the overall amount that's being loaned out. And yeah, I, I think we have a basket of maybe eighteen or twenty mortgages at a, at a given time. It they they discharge, then we then we look for new ones. So yeah, it's a bit more active, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting alternative. I guess I have two questions. One, do you want to plug your broker? And the other question is, what sort of size would your average investment be maybe? And I know you just gave the number of total investments, so you might not want to say that. But No, I mean, the size is highly, it varies a lot because of it's it, the investments would be based on the cash flows that we had at any given time and what we'd saved up in the deal availability. So they, they range like vastly in size, but we definitely try to keep any one investment from being much too large. So are you comfortable to share the name of the broker? Oh, yeah, the broker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can mention a couple in the Toronto area. So let's put it this way. If, if a listener wanted to look into this further, what would you put in your Google search term? What would you look up? Would you look up syndicated mortgage or how do you go about finding this? You know, it's not an easy thing to research online. And I know this because I have tried to do some research after the fact to, to see if there are any other brokers we might want to deal with at some point. Not to say that we're not happy with ours at all. We have been happy, but just in, you know, just to do some research about the market. And and it's it's not that easy to find. I think we came upon these two by word of mouth. So the two that we have dealt with, one is called Romspen. They're quite a decent size. I don't know the total value. It's always going up. Uh, they're in invest. They they deal on both sides of the border. Then uh, the other one, the main one that we deal with for the syndicated mortgages, is called Foremost Financial. 
and they are primarily in the GTA. It's a, it's a smaller business. We get really uh, personal attention in terms of you know any questions we have and kind of thing where you can email and be really in close touch with the, with the broker. So we, we enjoy that, that personal touch a lot. And maybe I'll just add one other thing I, I missed about something that we like about this type of investing is it touches on real estate without us having to hold property ourselves. So it's another way of diversifying away from equities. Now that, you know, bonds and equities, we used to be that they would be like, what do they call it? And working in indirectly correlated, but who knows now it's a little bit unclear. So this way it's a little more, even one more step more delinked. So I think bonds are, are great to be invested in. I think other types of fixed income, I think, you know, there are a lot of different solutions. It just depends on people's needs. For sure. And I think it's interesting that that makes a lot of sense for you because of your tax advantage. Yes. For for myself that would be dealing with private lending in a non-registered account, while I'm still working, I'm going to have a high tax hit on that. Yeah, definitely. Just a, I have a question in relation to something that you brought up is that you get to pick from a selection of mortgage opportunities. My experience with private lending was uh, they would send a file out to a dozen or two dozen investors and it's kind of first come first serve. I don't really, I can turn them down or accept them, but I don't have like a a list of a dozen to pick from that I want to. Do you have a list to pick from or do you kind of get that same thing? A file comes out and you've got to choose. It really depends on the time because there's a real ebb and flow to the availability of deals. There will be times when I say, hey, like what do you have available? And they'll send a few, we can go through, we can any of them or none of them, and that's up to us. There are also times when you know we we get have a number of mortgage discharges, and at that moment, there's actually nothing there, and we end up with some cash that's sitting, and that's not so great. So that's yeah. definitely a downside of this type of investing. It's not always completely steady. So yeah, you kind of have to take it for what it is. And uh, but overall, I think. We, we've been able to keep our money working for us for most most of the time. So I have a better question now. <laughs> what what the whiskey's working? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What sort of range of interest rate would you expect, and what would a, a minimum maybe on a deal be? Okay, these are pretty ballpark, and maybe I'll refer to like these days because it's most top of mind. What I've been seeing on uh, first mortgages would be rates in the range of eight to nine percent. And then the broker does take, I think it's three quarters of a percent for all the administration, everything they do. And honestly, I'm I'm happy to pay that. You know, when we talk about ETFs, if it was a percent, something like that, you'd think that's crazy. But actually, what the brokers are doing are so much more, you know, they're the ones out there vetting everything, setting everything up, chasing down the the interest payments. And then if something happens with the deal, they're the ones who have to do all the cleanup. So I don't yeah. begrudge that at all. It is possible to get higher rates, but of course, the reason the rate is higher is because it's a riskier deal. I prefer not to invest in second mortgages. I prefer not to go above maybe a 70% loan to value ratio. So yeah, I I prefer to take a little more conservative rate in order for something that feels like it's probably going to work out for the best. I'm interested here is if you're doing a first mortgage and you're part of an investor pool, are you still secured on title or is your investment secured through a promissory note through the broker? 
That would be a great question for my broker, which I'm not <laughs> quite able to answer for you. Well, you need to ask. Yes. Okay, okay. I will take note. I will check on that. The reason I asked that question is because yeah. I've been investigating uh, private lending and things like that, and also some other types of uh, private financing and lending. And it is very important, I think, for our listeners to mm-hmm. to realize that this there's a lot to sort of learn about these strategies. And, you know, I, I think they're really interesting and they're probably something that you are fire already and people on their FI journey, once they've got their established portfolio of well-diversified index funds and things like that, these opportunities for private lending may work for certain situations, but I think they're very interesting and they certainly offer good uh, interest returns uh, if that works well into your tax structure and things like that. But part of the risk of these is how your money is protected by the assets mm-hmm. that you are are lending to. In position as a second mortgage, I do have title. I am on title, but obviously the first lender has priority and I would have to pay them in the event of any kind of default. For you with the pooled type situation, who deals with uh, any kind of default or anything like that is all that's the three quarter percent you pay for your broker to deal with all that. Yes, that's right. And uh, I don't think we've had any issues with any of the mortgages that that we have held in uh, syndicated mortgages, but there have been some issues with the ones in the funds. And so we've gone through that experience of having them. I mean, over over many months explaining all the steps that they had to go through, there were cases where they actually had to take over a property and actually run it because it wasn't something that could be sold right away. Um, so yeah, all the, all those headaches, they they do deal with it. And they're, in this case, they're very transparent, or at least to us, it very much feels like they are. Um, but yeah, I, I think the point that you raise is something that uh, I think we definitely would want to look into. Mm-hmm. And I think more generally, I could say, this is not something to enter into lightly. I think that, you know, one shady broker is all it could take to really like derail your whole financial future. So definitely doing as much background checking as much as you can find out to make sure it's not some sketchy Ponzi scheme. Uh, super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. You could no the listeners can't see me laughing and nodding my head vigorously, but uh, yes, I completely <laughs> agree. And yeah, these are really interesting strategies with the the private lending and networking and talking to other people that are involved in it is probably the best way to learn. And I find in general, everything in this personal finance community or FI community, everybody's super willing to help. And I'm sure you at uh, our Freedom Unit, Stephanie and Jillian, would be happy to answer emails about uh, their strategy. And of course, FI Garage, we're happy to get your emails and ask questions too. So Economist, do you have one more question before we start wrapping up this fantastic episode? Yeah, you've been... Uh five for a few months now. I was just curious, we had an episode where we talked about is the fire community too conservative in picking retirement dates a while back. So given that you made the switch and then the world went into this new novel, terrible COVID situation, are you happy you waited as long as you did? Do you think you could have been more aggressive in picking a retirement date? Any thoughts on that? I think we're very happy with our timing, despite the fact that there's been this teeny tiny global pandemic plus a recession. So despite all of that, um, we, you know, we reached the number we wanted to reach. We wouldn't have been comfortable firing any sooner than that. Um, we, we wanted to feel that we were being conservative enough. In fact, we had been 
you know, pulling down our numbers because we had been so eager. So that was the like the minimum that we had to meet. Um, <laughs> and even though we've only had, you know, six months of this, you know, ideal life that we were aiming to live, we know that this is this is just temporary what's happening now. And we will we will be back on the road and the world will return to some sort of normal. So, you know, in the end, it all works out. And what we are left with is an amount that we're comfortable with, a risk management plan that we have now fully put to test. Um, so we feel we feel we're in good shape for the next few years and then beyond. That's awesome. And, and you reached out to us after you heard our risk management episode with Peter. And you've also got an episode on your YouTube channel. Tell our listeners a little bit about your YouTube channel because we could keep talking because this is fascinating, I think. But uh, you've got lots of content there. So fill in and uh, give yourself a little plug. Tell our listeners what you do on the YouTube and, and why they should go and check it out. So the the idea with the YouTube channel is that we're going on this journey and we we want to bring people along. We've learned a lot in the process of getting to financial independence and retiring early and we want to share as much as possible with other people and in turn we we hope other people, you know, leave their comments and leave their stories and share with us as well. So it you know, it works both ways. Um so there there's a lot about really some just basics for financial independence and also kind of life before and after retirement because there's such a big change there. Um, and just to put our own special twist on it, of course, we're pe bringing people along as we're traveling the world. So we share the cost of living in each of the destinations that we visit. And in fact, that's one of the most asked things because the people who are watching are often very keen to understand, you know, what could life be like for them once they reach retirement? And where could they live or what could their their trips look like? So we're really happy to be a resource and, and love it if people could come and, and visit and join us for the journey. Fantastic. So that's our freedom years. And that just do you have a website as well? Or yeah. do you just go through okay? So it's our freedom yeah. years dot com or dot ca. That's right, dot com and, and our Instagram. I'm usually wrong on the first guest. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, of course, everybody's on Instagram. So yes. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. How were your beers? Happy, pick, good picks? Excellent. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. I might be back. <laughs> Pick some more up. <laughs> well, my Barnside Brewing, it's called the uh, Clay IPA. And I did read on the back of here that they've grown the hops in this unique Ladner clay soil. So uh, they told me I should taste that. And mm. I'm not sure if I did, but it was quite a tasty beer. So uh, how's that whiskey? Uh, it was, uh, it's gone. Yeah, production is now yeah. ceased for the yeah. rest of the day. Stop. Yeah, that's right. It, it was an excellent question motivator. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did improve. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks again for listening to the FI Garage. Thank you again to Stephanie and Jillian. Pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I think we might have to do this again. There's some more uncovered gems that we need to talk about uh, that'll be interesting for our listeners. Sounds great. Thanks so much. <laughs>